This is a Clark University podcast. RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Hi, professors. This is Sam Rubin. Recommended for you this week is the film High School Musical from 2006, made in the United States and directed by Kenny Ortega. The film stars Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. I'm recommending this film for you because it's a childhood classic and the music truly has no reason to go that hard. Speaking of music that truly has no reason to go hard, everyone should watch my MSA Honors thesis, which is an acapella music video. It's available in three parts on my Instagram. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by Clark University students. Welcome to RFU. I'm Soren. Sorensen. He can sing. <laughs> this is rocks. <laughs> and I'm Hugh Mannon. Today we are discussing the 2006 film High School Musical, a made-for-television film directed by Kenny Ortega, the first installment in the High School Musical franchise. I don't know if you guys got this, but it kind of reminded me of this play I read in high school. Oh, like Antigone. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Oedipus? No, High School Musical is clearly based, like many romantic comedies and many teen comedies, uh, on William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It stars Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens uh, as Troy and Gabriella, two teens who meet at a winter family vacay in the mountains, only to find that she has been transferred to his school following winter break, uh, and they're romance question mark and newly discovered passion for music drive conflict in their friend groups who eventually come together in support of their newfound passion how was that 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 was was unbelievable yeah that was really good (laughs) there's something really important i want to ask the two of you i've done a lot of karaoke in my life um and i find a karaoke duet to be uh rather off-putting i generally i generally decline them i think that when you when you do karaoke and somebody's gonna do a duet it's almost always terrible um, and I, I once won a television in a karaoke contest, and so I, I know I know what I'm talking about here. I sang U2's One, um, and I, I, I won a television. Um, and, yeah, I always just am, am a little scared when somebody goes up and to try to do Grease or, you know, some some duet. It, it almost never goes really well. But this film opens with this this great song, The Start of Something New or at least to me, and they do this duet where they're just like thrown together and they're forced to sing together and it's like perfect, um, which I think is a great tradition in musicals. It reminded me of uh, of Jailhouse Rock um, when Elvis Presley's in jail and and his his cellmate has a guitar and he's like, you mind if I horse around with it? And he like he like immediately <laughs> sings something, like this perfect song, you know? Um, and, and I think that that sort of set the tone for this for me, which is like these, these people clearly are just, this is, this is like, they're not just bumping into each other. They, they, this is going to be like a fully rehearsed, kind of fully realized, har- harmonized duet version of this song. Um, I did watch this song twice, and by the, the the second time around, I was like, I think the note that I took in my phone was um, uh, start of something new, and then just the fire emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Living in my own world Didn't understand When you take a chance 
musically, this film does start on its strongest foot. I would argue that nearly every number following it makes this nice descent into mediocrity. Uh, and I'm not talking about like the performances because I do think the musical performances across this film are are very consistent and competent. But um, that's the strongest song musically pop number it has big bb mac or like savage garden energy for me which i think is Ooh. fitting considering this film's from 2006 wow that's deep i, I didn't think we were going to ever talk about bb mac on this podcast but here it is cut to some <laughs> soft pop early 2000s moment baby set me free from this misery so just for the record, I have no idea what either one of these people are talking about. <laughs> he was clueless. I'm not sold on the acting. And I'll say before we even get to the duet, we get some of the worst acting of the film. The totally cringeworthy parents rounding up their kids for the for the New Year's party. It's 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 terrifying. So is let me ask this. Is the is the tardy is the tarty a thing? Like the teen party? Like, so can you actually go to a resort someplace and have a New Year's Eve adult party upstairs and then the teens all go hang out in some club in the basement? I hope I never find out. I think you're asking the wrong people. (laughs) I mean, there's a class thing going on here that I can't comprehend. Like, I've never been to a ski resort in my entire life, so I have no idea what that's even about. Your your child is is of the age where we could find that out, you know, in in a few years. Just knock on his door. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to a tardy? <laughs> it's completely it, it's so fakey fake and they all of course yeah. musicals are always super phony like you've got a like it's it's mega disavowal right so you're you're watching this and you're in some sense suspending your suspension of the suspension of disbelief or something like that I don't mm-hmm. totally. but like you're at many layers removed from anything like reality and you're thinking about the fact like i'm thinking about the fact uh or the question as to whether either of these people actually recorded their own vocals turns out she did he didn't at any <gasps> point in the film. Wait. But know. Zach, yeah, Zach Efron does not sing in the first Zach film. Zach does not sing. What? But but that's kind of what you're trying to puzzle out because you're hearing these these or the you know, these words sung in a timbre that doesn't match anything about the room. Like suddenly just there's this massive shift and like now we're in like artifice land. Whereas I think like yeah, we initially, you know, this club in the bottom of the resort is also artifice land, but now we're at double artifice land and in some ways like you know, hearing them sing to each other just makes that even put, puts an even finer point on the fact that it all seems incredibly fake. But that's what we're here for. It's a musical, right? Yeah. I totally get that. I'm not. This is no in no sense a critique <laughs> of the film. Like I just think that's the moment at which the <laughs> this film shifts into full blown musical mode, and it's like, wow, I haven't seen one of these in a while, and here we are. Director uh, Kenny Ortega, who looms large in in my household, uh, having directed Newsies in, from 1992, mm-hmm. an early Christian Bale entry, and Hocus Pocus <laughs> in 1993. That is a hell of a one-two punch right there. These are these are two films huh. that loom very large in in specifically my partner's life, but my household in general. These are these are viewed very often. These two films, um, and now High School Musical, his third film. Which was a 13-year gap between uh, Hocus Pocus and High School Musical, which is a TV movie. Wow! As well, we we failed to mention it's a TV movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a Disney it's a Disney Channel film. Yeah. The other thing that I found quite striking was that it was wildly successful. It it, there were 7.7 million viewers in its premiere broadcast, which is 
like ridiculous. I mean, compared to numbers of cable viewers right now, like for you know for big you know well well watched cable TV shows in their broadcast. Obviously, it's a different world in two thousand six, but and it's a um, cult item in the sense that all our students know this film inside yeah. out and upside down. Except they don't seem to know it on Twitter when I drop hints about it. <laughs> but, but they 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 clearly know this film really well, and I think it's for nostalgic reasons. It's got to be right. Yeah, and 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 I think we're we're maybe crossing like a generational line again, which is like I I feel like the 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 people who just graduated the students who just graduated the the recent alums and of the past few years maybe know it better than current students um I, you yeah. know that's sort of in my experience a little bit and i don't maybe this doesn't ring as as uh, as significant for the, for current clark students i'm not sure i think it fits as a cult film sort of beyond generations uh so like last week in my us film history class and i'm so in, i'm so sorry you guys but <laughs> for this to make this comparison, but we read Umberto Eco's uh, essay on Casablanca as a cult film. Uh, whew, please forgive me. Um, and you know, when you know Echo's definition of what makes a cult film a cult film is because it's not one movie; it's the movies. Uh, and one of my favorite quotes from that essay is: two cliches make us laugh." But a hundred cliches move us because we sense dimly that the cliches are talking among themselves and celebrating a reunion. And much of that essay is a long list of the many cliches or archetypes that appear in the first like 10 minutes of that film. And I tried to construct a similar list, but from across this film. And this is really a, a selection. But let me read it to you. The chance meeting, the shocking musical talent, opposites attract, girl who just wants to be a girl, nerd girl who trips and falls spilling all her papers and later loses the updo to reveal barely hidden beauty beneath the surface, the gay best friend, I mean brother, the black, <laughs> the black villain or bully, the scolding librarian, the berating female teacher, the tough love male teacher, the rehearsal montage, the balcony scene, the attempt at a watch synchronization, the close-up of a clock signaling the end of a day, longing glances across a room, throwing things at each other as a form of flirting, singing while leaning against a wall, angry slash sad rehearsing in a long shot from a POV of a loving family member, pumped up montage that is just i think a few of the cliches we have in this film and if we slotted it into echoes you know formulation uh are these cliches celebrating a reunion are they moving us for that reason for me like maybe that's why that's part of what moves our students uh for me it's not a reunion it's detention i don't know it's like a cult <laughs> movie with training wheels um i think my generous understanding of the fact that it's doing all these things that I feel like are done so much better elsewhere is that maybe if you're five or six or 10, it's warming you up for the big leagues. It's getting getting you ready. It's getting you ready for West Side Story, for Greece. Uh, it's a gateway drug. Yes. For even bring it on from just six years prior sure. is a very, very similar film, but with a tad more wit or grit or something so first off that list is amazing and you're totally totally <laughs> yeah. right and that that yeah, really yeah. makes the point hard i think um but it, it's tv moviness is tough to get past um it does not look like a film film 
Uh, I don't think, I mean, you know, our, our students make far more interesting looking films at Clark than this film looks. That's really true. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I do get how a pretty bluntly commercial object can be a s- subject of nostalgia for people. But here's the, uh, here's the question I really want to ask. What movie fulfilled the role for you that this film fulfills for our students? And I think for me... I, I didn't see Rock and Roll High School. Like, that would have been it. For me, it was Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, which is a musical, <laughs> which yeah. blew my mind, blew my friend's mind. I kind of, yeah. I look back on it reverentially. Um, just complete. It's, it's right there in that sweet spot. I was probably, how old was I when that came out? I don't know, like 14, 15. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on Greece, so it's like a little, it's a little pre, I mean, I don't know what it, actually, our students must have been young when they watched this, but Mm. I, you know, I I also remember asking like my middle school choir teacher if we could do Greece as a school musical, and she was like, your parents would not let me do that film. Hmm. And I remember going, why? It's so good. And like a few years later, I was like, oh, (laughs) somehow I love that movie and like, well, would die for Rizzo at like age nine with also not understanding that she was having a pregnancy scare. No, this is, this is exactly the point though. So Greece, I mean, that really puts a fine point on the fact that this is a film for kids, right? So this is a film that is the only, maybe the most adult sexual moment in the entire film is the tag at the end, you know, the sort of post-credit sequence or whatever you want to call it. Um, when Sharpay comes chasing Zeke about the cookies and it looks like she's <laughs> <laughs> she's literally physically attacking him, pushes him out of frame, and we can only assume that that's a sex scene or something. But there's nothing I else I in the film. I didn't get to the post-credits what? scene either time I watched it. Now I have to, it's the yeah. structure. Lauren. It's the estimate kernel of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's the crux of the it's... biscuit. <laughs> These cookies are genius. The best things I've ever tasted. Will you make them more for me, Zeke? I might even make you a creme brulee. <gasps> Sharpay comes running out on the basketball court. Zeke's out there. She is completely aroused at the quality of his cookies, which he has given her, and she's now tried. And she runs through all the balloons that are on the center at the center of the floor that are left over from the final musical number, and physically tackles him out of frame and it's it's the most excited and kind of normal she is in the entire film i would argue right she seems like a human being the only redeeming <laughs> character in this movie is sharpay oh God. um i think her singing her singing is like of another caliber i was presum- I sorry i made the innocent presumption that they did record everyone did sing their <laughs> Song, she's but. she's doing sexy baby voice. I mean that that's pretty brutal. I mean I guess that's what she's supposed to be doing. But Ashley Tisdale, that's a that's a tough beat. I don't know. I have a hard time listening. No, to the best character, best the, rocks. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're saying she's the best character in the film. <laughs> I don't think she's better than everybody else. Do you think she's better than everybody else in the film? Well, there's her and Mrs. Darbus. <laughs> I'm not joking. Or just Darbus. <laughs> Darbus, shall the carnage continue? <laughs> musical, maybe the spring musical. musical. <laughs> I worry that we're going to kind of get lost in everybody's dust on this because there's this whole ongoing para discussion about this film that goes on online. And I, I just was searching for some stuff and I came up with this uh, 
Business Insider Australia says, High School Musical star Lucas Grabeel won't stand for fans thinking Sharpay isn't the movie's villain. If anyone's a victim, he says, it's Ryan. And so there's this <laughs> apparently existing discourse that says Sharpay's sort of the hero. She, she's the downtrodden hero of the film. And if you look at this film through some sort of more objective I do. Lens, I agree. And I kind of do, too. Because this, this is a film about two freakishly talented individuals who cannot keep to their lanes and instead colonize the drama department, kicking out those whose only dedication is the theatrical arts. And considering Sharpay in this film, she does not realize how mean everyone is to her and how she's being bullied all the time. She just like doesn't hear it, doesn't care, does her jam and loses and loses so gracefully. I'm like, yeah. Like, let's make the movie about her. I, I watched a different film. Yeah, I watched a different <laughs> film. She She's graceful in the very last, in the very end. There's like one line, like, break a leg. It's That means good luck in theatrical, you know. That's it. That's the grace. She says she's happy to serve as the understudy for someone with such talent. She but... she, get, she gets grace in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, like, I don't. I, I don't think she's – I mean, she is a bully as well. No, she is. But, like, the film's understanding is she's a bully and therefore everyone should be mean to her too. Mm. Are Sharpay <laughs> and Ryan playing romantic leads in these yes. plays? Yes, 17 times they've played romantic leads together. That's okay because no <laughs> one is getting laid in this town. But also it's okay because he's gay and therefore it's not really incest. I don't know. Like, it's really oh. bizarre. I mean, that's another pair of discourse that's going on about this film, I found out. I thought this was a really original thought on my part, and it turns out everybody's already thought this. I don't think it's mentioned until 35 minutes into the film-ish that they're siblings. <laughs> I think we meet her and she says, my brother and I saw her in all the musicals. But I don't think you know what she's talking about. She could be referring to anybody. He's not standing there when she says that, I don't think. So there's no way to put together. Like, my argument is there's simply no way to put together that they're siblings. And so we kind of have to figure that out on our own. And there's this weird gray area thing happening with the two, Sharpay and Ryan, for the first half hour, roughly, of the film. And then it is named. Then it is made clear that they're twins and siblings. And now we've got to wrestle with the idea that we've been thinking that maybe they were boyfriend, girlfriend. We have no idea what their relationship was up to a certain <laughs> point. Um, and so I to me, what this gay. film is about is is exactly, you know, it's it's <laughs> what Soren said, but also the he's fact amazing. that... I think he's better than her anyway. I think they're yeah, I great. Good. Yeah, so. But I think it's about, I, ultimately, I think it's about the fact that the high school comes together to stamp out the incest taboo. Oof. Oh, like wow. They're, yeah. they're, they're doing something that's seriously alternative. And the school's like, nope, exogamy, we can't do this. Nope, absolutely not. We need to mix up the couples. And it feels... Everything around Sharpay and Ryan feels strange to me. I mean, that would be a legitimate secret other than like (laughs) being a basketball player who likes to bake or being a white girl who likes hip hop. Do you think that if you in your friend group, if somebody was secretly baking and you found out about it, you wouldn't be anything but thrilled? Like, I don't I don't I can't think of a, a click like a friend group where somebody was like, I'm really good at making cookies where they would be like, that's lame. Like everybody likes somebody that bakes like Who's making fun of someone that bakes? <laughs> Stick to the status quo is about like you can only have one single interest. Yes, yes. God forbid you're a well-rounded person. Yes. And again, I want to come back to what I just said. That's the whole point of this incest taboo thing. So it's almost like the school is saying, be the thing that you already are. 
I mean, it's completely endogamous. Whereas the message of the film ultimately is no, once we get a whiff of the fact that people can do things that they don't normally do on a day to day basis, for instance, baking. That infects the school like a plague, takes over everything. The skaters are hanging out with the cellists. All hell breaks loose. Dogs are sleeping with cats. All the rest of it. So I, don't, I guess like I'm trying to I'm trying to think maybe I was just maybe I had like more supportive people around me, but I had a miserable time in high school for half of it or more. But it wasn't this kind of miserable. They're not miserable. These are like the happiest saddest people in the world they have secrets though they do not have secrets well the baking the cello and the and the hip-hop dancing this I is mean, bullshit secrets incest is a big secret incest is a big secret being gay is a big secret like f- experiencing trauma in your f- household is a se- big secret we were back in cube two hypercube <laughs> it's like where personality and culture goes to die i you know like this is this is nonsense so wait, 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 wait. Hang on. So I, I think I'm actually 100% w- with you, Rox, but what what's the nonsense? Just that we can that we're singing the song at all. Oh, the status quo song? Yeah. That's the dumbest song in the whole film. Yeah, so I am 100% in agreement with this. Yes. Well, if Troy can tell his secret, then I can tell mine. I bake. What? Oh. I love to bake. Strudel scones even I've penned out. So I do have this like counter reading of the film that's more out there Clearly. than the Sharpay one. <laughs> My generous counter reading is this is a trans girl for bi boy movie where Gabriella keeps telling us that there's this whole other person inside of her waiting to come out. And, you know, instead of the freak girl, she gets to be just a girl. She gets to feel like just a girl and he says and you looked like one too meanwhile Mm. he wants to it's not that he doesn't want to be the playmaker he wants to be both a playmaker and a singer so it's like i don't know it's trans girl meets bi boy and only each other see that and that's what we're really what they're really talking about when we're not looking at them (laughs) and therefore this whole thing would make sense if that was the case i guess like like, I would be with them, right, instead of with Sharpay, if that was the story we were, get, Got we were it. getting. Got yep, totally. So, and in the end, the film completely crushes that vision of things, is what you're saying. The high school and the film both collaborate, collude, to yeah. stamp out that that possibility, right? Yeah. Or, or the ending is quite happy, and everybody should embrace who they are, and pluralism, and we're all everything we want to be. I mean, I, you know, you, you can read it in this kind of utopian way, too. By the end of the film, everybody gets what they want. Gabriella gets to rule, like, the math club and the theater scene. Are you saying people should stay in their lanes? No, but, like, it doesn't feel like these two people are joining communities and expanding their horizons. It feels like they're displacing others. And so while, no, I'm not team stick in your own lane, I'm also like, these these can't be the two models. You can't either stick in your own lane or kick someone else out of theirs. You have to learn to merge, I guess. You know, like- Another way to look at it is that all the little pigeonholes and slots and the, the ways in which you can stick stick to the stuff you know, which is overcome at the end of the film, does absolutely nothing to overcome those categories. No. Right? So in other words, the categories remain the same. Different people shift into different categories. Some people span multiple categories, but the categories are the categories. So the, yeah. the high school is perpetuated. It's not reinvented. It's the same structure, 
with people doing all seeming or con- convincing themselves that they're doing alternate things with all those same, same categories when they're really just serving the ISA of the school. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, that's th- this is my my thing was like I, the school wins. Like that that is that is my the darkest yeah. reading that I could come up with is that everybody's dressed in the school color at the end, saying that they we, we you know we're together and that's all that matters is that we're serving the school. Um, yeah, and and the lanes be damned. It's like yes, of course they still exist, and people can move in and out of them, and communities can be formed and destroyed, but the school lives on, and people are all really just jazzed about how special the school is. Let me ask. Let me ask a kind of another reframing question here. So, what does what makes the film think that Troy and Gabriella are the heroes? And I th- I'll just posit this. I think the film thinks they're heroes because they make everyone else feel good about themselves. Like Kelsey being the ultimate example. This Kelsey's the composer. So they make Kelsey feels terrible because of what Sharpay has said and the reorganization and the rearrangement of her song. And so Troy and Gabriella say, nope, this song's great. You're great. We're going to sing your version of the song at the pace that you want. And that's what makes Troy and Gabriella heroic in the film. But can that be a baseline <laughs> for no. judgment? They show no growth. Gabriella in particular. She faces zero conflicts and makes no mistakes <laughs> I just, but I just think the villains are. The, I mean, they're, they're they all are behaving villainously. But my gender critique of this film is like, all, lots of these kids are terrible because teenagers are awful. But Sharpay is cast as the villain, and that's that's gender bias. That's privileging masculinity and basketball over femininity and musicals. Yep, she doesn't want to be the freaky nerd girl. Is that her conflict is internal? No one's putting that on her. She's so I'm curious. How does Kelsey fit into this gender critique of this film? Then, so when they when when Kelsey's being being like bullied by Sharpay, Sharpay's the victim. Like I don't Sharpay's no. like gnashing her teeth and being so mean to everybody. Well, I don't think it's gendered. Kelsey's Kelsey's a female and is being That's completely manhandled I'm by everybody. De- I'm not yeah. denying that Sharpay is terrible in the same way, in a very similar way as Rizzo is terrible, but. In a way that, like, the film understands. In this case, the film casts her as a villain, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I'm sorry, I don't remember the best friend's name. That's Chad. When Sharpay walks into school and everyone's like, what did you do over break type thing? And, and he says she probably does what she does every break, looks for a mirror. And when um, Troy says, and Sharpay's kind of cute to justify why he would want to go to a musical audition, he's like... So is a, I don't know what he says, like a lion or tiger. So is a bobcat, but you don't want to hug it or something like that? That's right. So is a bobcat. It's like every, like he's so, he's so mean. And she doesn't, she just happens not to hear and therefore um, is not technically bullied because it's not said to her face. But I'm not denying that she's flawed <laughs> but like well film, she's written that the, way i think i think you're right she's written more flawed than the other villains if you want to call the other and at the villains. end of the yeah. movie even right so at the end of the movie this is the difference sharpay has this like congrats on on being cast i'm happy to be yep. your your backup meanwhile he said asked the nerd girl on a date and she goes wow like a date and he's like yeah it's your lucky day he doesn't ask her on a date. He says, you're going with me. Right, yeah. He's yeah. a dick through and through. And Sharpay yeah. has a narrative arc. But they all. But everybody else has come around before her. Gabriella has no arc. <laughs> 
Anyway, but the other students who have acted without their friend's best interests at heart have come around and, and enabled them to make their audition. They've already transformed as characters. Sharpay's the last one to transform. I mean, it, it's it's one line at the end. Ryan's been soft the whole time. He's like, they sound great, and he's like, he's like, I don't know if I want to do this or what. You know, yeah. he's kind of like he's under her thumb in a, in a lot of ways. She's the sort of mastermind of all the like. I know. I, I love a villain. So like, I'm like, yeah, I like like the Little Mermaid for me is <laughs> is about Ursula. <laughs> Greece for me is about Rizzo. I'm not like claiming that these people are in fact like mm. ethically better, <laughs> but I do think they're talented, and I do think they're compelling. And I do, you know, I want to know their story and they're like flawed, they're flawed and interesting. Gabriella is not interesting to me. I don't, I, and I don't believe she's a nerd. Like, I don't believe she read that book. Yeah, she's the least nerdy nerd ever to walk the face of the planet. But I actually totally agree. I think like what it what it enables you to, or what it kind of asks you to do is to think about the fact that, um, f- you know, something has gotten these villainous characters to the point that they're at and to be judged as villains, you know, by their peers, why are they that way? And you just get, you, you can almost immediately start to spin out the backstory, right. Of Sharpay and Ryan. Like you, you already can have a sense of how they were raised, why they're like this. They're twins. They're fraternal twins. Right. So that's part of it. And, you know, and she seems way older than any of the other. Like, I, I mean, when you see the her. The actress you, is a couple years older. And than you kind of think, uh, she's 30 and she's playing 17. She's not really 30, <laughs> but like she seems much older than she, than the rest of her peers. Why is that? You know, what would make someone suddenly appear or manifest in such a mature way? Family trauma. Sometimes we, we like to point to, after having discussed plot and characterization for the whole thing, Sometimes we like to talk about form and I don't know that we can do that here, but I'm going to, because I think the form of this film is just really run of the mill TV movie style. Like it's just not good. Mm. Um, But there are points in this film that, that there are things going on that I can't quite (laughs) get a handle on. There's this scene where Troy is painting the, the um, props for the, the musical in detention and he's painting a crate but the thing that he's painting to look like a crate is actually a crate. So he's making this crate even cratier than it is. Like his job is is like increased cratification of crates. I've never seen anything like that. You never painted any props, clearly. <laughs> I, I really think that the comparison to, to Cube 2 Hypercube is really apt. I played the little brother in three consecutive summer uh, shows in, in Avon, Connecticut when I was in, around middle school age. It was Music Man, Bye Bye Birdie, and Annie Get Your Gun. I was in the Music Man. I was the mayor's wife. Oh, that's a good part. That's a good part. I have part. a bunion there that bothers. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Somehow your high school musical never leaves your neurological wiring. Like, it's just in your brain forever. <laughs> but the thing about th- these kids' high school musical is it's just this completely invented bullshit. Yeah. Right. It's not actually a, a high school musical because a high school musical almost by definition is not original song. This film does not build to the performance of a musical. Right. It builds to the final audition. The callbacks. There is no big show. I guess the big show is the basketball, which we are never led to believe there's any chance they'll lose. I mean, I know they always win. <laughs> they only win by one point. It's exciting. It's a real nail biter. No, like there's no, <laughs> and this is my, this is one of the hardest things just sort of formally, uh, I guess it's still in terms of narrative, but like there is no suspense to this movie. Yeah. There's also, I would argue, no comedy in this film. The funniest thing in this film is the fact that Sharpay is named that. 
I think Sharpay and and Darvis have some good lines. And the one that I was hinting at on Twitter was, Ryan, we need to save our show from people who don't know the difference between a Tony Award and Tony Hawk. I mean, (laughs) really. I mean, it's not great, but that's the closest we get to comedy. Um, Would we RFU? Would we RFU? Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend this film. I, I, I think we're going to watch the sequel tonight um, when Ring goes to bed because I don't think he has any interest in it. I think Carrie and I are going to watch it. I say no. I vote no. I'm, I'm voting no. Sharpay, <laughs> you're wrong. Sharpay's going to be fine. Save Sharpay. <laughs> Save Sharpay. <laughs> Justice for Sharpay. Would I RFU? Um, I would say I would recommend a few little flicks like West Side Story. Oh, come West- on. Grease. Ten things I hate about <laughs> like, you. What? Never oh been kissed. God. She's all that. Oh Bring God. it on. I would uh, recommend Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Right. <laughs> I would not recommend Cube 2 Hypercube, but I would recommend Rear Window. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ow. I would like you to that take a look at harsher. a little film called Citizen Kane <laughs> and The Godfather Dose. Oh, my God. You guys, I was recommending Grease. This is not Citizen Kane. It's so much better. Unless you're five or six. Or your parents are really strict, then warm up with High School Musical. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, you can leave a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355. 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by AJ Simmons. I'm going to ask you something. And this is serious business. Am I allowed to be repulsed by armpit hair if I don't discriminate by gender? Like if I'm just repulsed by all armpit hair across the board, is is that that cool? Yeah. Well, I think think we learned a lot tonight. I'd like to end with lyrics from the 1997 hit Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden. I want to stand with you on a mountain. I want to bathe with you in the sea. I want to lay like this forever. Rocks. Until the sky falls down on me. Nice. <laughs> wow. That did not go where I thought it was going. 